Michigan makes a statement next on this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Nip This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. And a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Colazar at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds. A junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop. And he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. win the championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace, and welcome to this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. As the Wolverines make a statement in the season opening win at Minnesota, it's the largest margin of victory for Michigan in a season opener against a ranked team in the history of the AP poll era, which goes back to 1996. 25 points, and if you watch the game, it it really wasn't that close. I mean, Michigan left three missed field goals on the field, could have had even more points. And what Michigan unveiled on Saturday night in front of the country, I got to tell you, I never saw coming. And what happened Saturday night, and my reaction while watching it in real time, reminds me of another season opener. The season opener in which Michigan previously set its record for the most lopsided win ever in a season opener over a ranked team. And that was back in 1997 against Colorado. Now, let me say this, even though it's going to be ignored by Troll69Me in the comment section here on YouTube, I am not saying that this team is going to end its season the way the 1997 team ended its. I'm just talking about the season openers. They're very similar. Michigan went into that game against number 8 Colorado, chosen by the Sporting News to be the national champion that year. They went in an underdog. That same Sporting News College football preview that year had the article, M stands for mediocre. 
Michigan coming off four straight, four loss seasons. That kind of time had passed the Michigan program by. Its window of dominance, of relevance had closed. Ohio State was really coming on now with John Cooper. He had put together, strung together several dominant recruiting classes in a row. And even though they were struggling against Michigan, they were clobbering the hell out of everybody else. They'd just come off winning the school's first Rose Bowl since Woody Hayes was the coach in the early 1970s. And there was a lot of talk that Michigan's way of doing things was antiquated. And Colorado had the Wunderkind coach, the New Age coach, and Rick Skippy Neuheisel, he of Guitar Hero fame, who could put to anything to a song and related well to the youth, you know, sort of like P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. But on that day to open the 1997 season, Michigan unveiled with a hotshot defensive coordinator a defense that finally took all of that athleticism it recruits every year and instead of putting it in some bend-but-don't-break box, unleashed it with a zone blitz scheme that terrorized Colorado. And Michigan won that game by 24 points. That was its largest margin of victory ever in a season opener against a ranked team. And given the history of the Michigan-Notre Dame series, Michigan has opened up the season against a ranked team a lot more than the average college football program has. Same thing feels like it kind of happened here, except it wasn't the defense. Now it was the offense. Nine different guys caught a pass. Six different guys carried the football. Six different guys had a big play of 20 yards or more. I know we have a lot of Ohio State fans that watch this. You guys have been watching that go down for the last few years. That's that's brand new here in these parts. For Michigan now to finally join the offensive evolution. Josh Gaddis now showing, hey, what would happen if we recruited all of these guys and then put them in a position to use their talent rather than let's play time of possession and ball control and keep the turnovers down. Because, see, I think it's actually it's actually risk-averse to open the offense up when you've got the kind of talent a Michigan has. You're going to have a whole bunch of guys covered man-to-man. You're not going to see a conglomerate of defense there if there's a fumble. Michigan fumbled twice and recovered it both times on Saturday night, kind of proving my point. I think you keep turnovers down. I think you keep injuries down by actually opening the offense up. Because when you have the kind of talent that a Michigan recruits, a lot of that's going to be one-on-one matchups. And you saw on Saturday night, just like we saw that season opener in 1997, what could be and what could have been all this time if Michigan had been willing to innovate a little sooner. But it's obvious that Michigan is willing to innovate now. And that gives a season that, frankly, I was kind of meh about. I think I predicted 5-3 and three for Michigan's record, including a loss here, a 1-2 and two start. Suddenly, that gives this a season with some possibilities. Now, I'm not even going to address the end of the season for two reasons. Number one, uh, the Ohio State rivalry doesn't exist in my mind until Michigan does something to convince me again with my own eyes that it is a rivalry. So until further notice, Ohio State is playing a different sport on a different playing field in a different uh, dimension than where Michigan is at. I'm talking about the rest of the Big Ten. But then number two, as we were as we were reminded by what's gone down at Wisconsin here this week, every game is a one-game season. You, you cannot be forecasting moving forward whatsoever. You're one test or two tests away from having your entire season wrecked. 
Graham Mertz was the toast of the town last Friday night. And now who knows when he's going to come back. We know it won't be until at least after the Michigan game against uh, the Wisconsin game against Michigan. Jack Cohn is out. Now there's talk the backup quarterback. He had an antigen positive now waiting for his PCR confirmation or not. Suddenly this Wisconsin season is starting to look like Northwestern's last year with a fourth with a fourth string quarterback or Michigan a few years ago with John O'Corn. So you're only a couple of positive tests away from your outlook going pretty gr- from rosy to grimy. So this isn't about forecasting uh, something special. This is just about hey, Michigan showed as long as it can stay positive and test negative that it's willing to join the college football evolution. And for those of us like myself who had sadly become resigned that we were never getting out of this friend zone, we were never getting out of this pretty good but meh realm that Michigan has been mired in here for the last few years, the opportunity to think, hey, maybe we haven't plateaued. Maybe we can reinvent ourselves and make, make another run at this to finally reach the heights that we expected Jim Harbaugh to have already scaled. That suddenly makes this season a lot more inviting and exciting to me than it was before Saturday night. And for now, I'll take it. So why should you consider supporting us on patreon.com slash Michigan podcast? Well, how about if I lay 2061 odds plus 2061 odds or 21 to one odds that you might get a good return on your investment because last week on our page, this underdog money line parlay that I recommended that was plus 2061 at William Hill hit. And if you were one of our subscribers, you got that underdog money line parlay. And you can see in the comment section, a lot of people were very, very happy with the early Christmas gift that they received. That's just one of the reasons why you want to support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast for as low as $5 a month. You can get our exclusive picks both for football basketball and baseball we absolutely killed it during uh, the regular season this year in major league baseball and we gave out those picks each and every day so if you don't want to miss everything that we're a part of each and every week and day at patreon.com slash michigan podcast go there now and you can support what we do here at michigan podcast and then Get an ROI with maybe some winning handicapping picks at the exact same time. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Thanks to all of you that are supporting us there. The hundreds already. We appreciate each and every one of you. Join their ranks and make a little money on the side maybe. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Time now for the 10-Minute War, our weekly homage to the great 10-year war between Woody and Bo. We are joined again by our good friend and one of the few, the proud, rational Ohio State Buckeye fans, Mark Rogers. He of the great channel here on YouTube. Uh, Mark, good to see you here again, brother. How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Good to see Big Ten play on the field. And now that we've got uh, action on the field, maybe I can create a little angst among your uh, Go Blue Nation. I don't know if you saw early returns around other ratings, uh, Big Ten football ratings for Fox, FS1, and BTN up 41% over a comparable weekend from last year, meaning a, a weekend they didn't have Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State, Penn State, that kind of a game. 
41%. That's how much thirst, excitement, anticipation there was for Big Ten football to return. So, I mean, you've got extensive experience working in the television industry. That is a, I mean, Big Ten games already get great numbers in a in an average weekend, but to go up 41% from an average weekend just a year ago, what does that tell you about what the market wanted from the Big Ten? Well, that uh, roughly 40% increase is a dichotomy to what uh, we've seen the ratings drop when the NBA and Major League Baseball came back in the summer. And uh, probably we could move a decimal point over for the Pac-12, maybe a 4.1% increase if they're lucky <laughs> when they come back. Oh, nice. Poor league isn't coming back for two more weeks. They're already getting dunked on. All right, so let, let's get to what we saw from around the league. And, and let's start with the team here that uh, is in my own backyard. Well, they're not because uh, I live in Iowa. But the team that's, in the, that's uh, nearest and dearest to my heart, Michigan. The statement that they made on Saturday night against Minnesota, I, I got to tell you, Mark, I, I didn't see it coming. I own a website that covers this team pretty closely. All right. Uh, that The whole team we have at Wolverine Digest, we have a lot of sources. We talk to the coaches and people around the program constantly. We I just, I had no inclination of what we were going to see. The level of poise. I, I expected some eye-popping athleticism from Joe Milton, but then the kind of first-year starter, you know, what, what you doing kind of moment never happened, man. He was just like in total command control of that game. There was never a point after the first throw that I was like nervous as a fan for him to drop back. Uh, the amount of speed that they put on the field, the athleticism, I mean, I know that Joe Milton averaged like 10 yards in attempt, but I'm guessing most of those aren't air yards because there was so much wide open space with all those athletes that he's just hitting guys in stride and space for glorified handoffs and screens and swing passes. And guys are taking these things 10, 20, 30, 40 yards with regularity. Nine different guys caught a pass. Six different guys ran the ball. I know that you as an Ohio State fan, you've been watching this since Herbs came in, right? So this is nothing new to you. This is really new to us, okay? We're, we're not used to seeing this. I mean, Michigan Michigan won the game by 25 points. That's more than their time of possession. They had the ball for less than 25 minutes. That's not the way we've been doing things around here for a long time, Mark. I mean, I, I was blown away, and I made the reference to this at the top of the show. I know I'm going to get ripped in the, in the comments for this, but it reminded me of the season opener in 1997, when, when Jim Herman unleashed the uh, the zone blitz at Michigan and, and we had played this bend but don't break defense since Bo came in, you know, and and we're like, holy crap, we're like getting six, seven sacks a game. So I guess these guys we do recruit are, are really fast. After all, look what happens when you let them attack the, the offense. I felt that way last night or Saturday night watching Josh Gaddis's offense. I was like, wow. So like these, you know, 10, 1, 100 meter guys we keep recruiting, apparently they are really fast. And if look what happens if we get them the ball. I, I mean, I was just, my mouth was agape most of the night watching it. What were your thoughts? I picked Michigan to win. I picked Michigan to cover. But like you, I thought long and hard about it. I thought that this was going to be a really good game and Michigan was going to barely eke out with a win. And like you, expected to see the hot and cold from a first-time starting quarterback in Joe Milton and a guy that completed 47% of his passes in high school. But he was actually poised and confident, was running the offense as designed, in addition to the splash plays. We talked about Michigan's ineffectiveness in the running game last year against the big opponents in the Big Ten, and that being a key to 
extended success this year. 8.2 yards per carry against a decent Minnesota defense. Now we'll have to see how the season plays out and see if 11-2 and two was an aberration for them, probably to a certain extent, but it's still a quality opponent. And this was a rushing team that couldn't gain gained basically between two and three and a half yards per carry against Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin last year. And they just blasted their way. And like you said, the athleticism from a number of players. And that's what we get from the elite teams in America. They don't have one guy, maybe two guys. They just come at you in waves, whether that's at the defensive front or the wide receiver and skill position players, because you don't know who's going to get the ball when. And that's what we saw out of the maize and blue. And I know people are going to say, well, hey, you know, Minnesota was down some guys with injuries and COVID, and that clearly was a factor. Keep in mind, we probably got hurt by COVID opt-outs more than any program in the country. Um, we lost our, with the possible exception of Penn State losing Micah Parsons, uh, but we lost our best corner, Ambry Thomas. Uh, we, we lost, and we were already going to be unproven at that position. We lost our best offensive skill player in Nico Collins. We had four new starters on the offensive line, a quintet of players that had never started together. First time starting quarterback, a guy that had not started a game of football since Pahokee High School in 2017. All right. Um, we had an, an, an almost an completely overhauled wide receiver room, except for Ronnie Bell. We also played without our starting tight end, Nick Eubanks, banged up. Our starting kicker, Quinn Nordine, didn't play, banged up. Our best uh, secondary player, Dax Hill, got hurt in the first half, didn't play at all in the second half. I mean, there's a reason why we were only ranked 18th in the country, despite all of our uh, usually uh, puffed-up name ID overratedness this year. We had a lot of new faces going into this game. So I know Minnesota had some issues, but Michigan had quite a few personnel questions to answer. And I'm, I can't believe anybody thought they were just going to answer them like that right out of the gate, Mark. And the Minnesota personnel on offense is no joke. We talked about Tanner Morgan, maybe the most reliable quarterback uh, in the conference outside of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Chris Ottman-Bell, a wide receiver to compliment Rashad Bateman. And, of course, a 1,000-yard running back in Ibrahim from two years ago, a 1,000 yards. And the defensive front that we knew was going to be stellar at Michigan and a retooled secondary did the job. Giving up 24 points in the, in the year of 2020 in college football is practically nothing. It's 10 or 13 points 10 or 15 years ago. So that's and, – and one was obviously on the blocked punt early in the game, uh, the special teams letting down Michigan, which was a bit of a surprise. But as you mentioned, Quinn Nordeen – uh, not able to kick, and so you missed either one or two field goals and then had the block punt for the touchdown early. Uh, it was an impressive performance, and I'm sure, like you, uh, I was hit with a number of people that make that next-step conclusion in week one especially. Well, that means Minnesota's awful. Obviously, Minnesota's awful if Michigan was able to do this. Well, let's pump the brakes on that. I think Minnesota's a quality team. I think that they're a in a 12-game season, an 8-4 and four kind of club here. And uh, I think they're going to show that, especially with, again, the offensive personnel and five returning offensive linemen to start uh, that game against that Michigan defensive front. 
here's the thing I, I take away from it, because we're going to talk about this next, the COVID angle, as we're already seeing it in our league. You and I warned about this, the that we were going to not see masses and waves of players suspended with contact tracing because our daily antigen testing is going to take care of that for us. But the, the trade-off is we're going to keep guys out if they do test positive for twice the amount of time that the CDC says you have to. And now we're, we're seeing that potentially decimate Wisconsin season. We'll get to that here in a second. But... For me as a Michigan fan coming in, and I, I think I told you this last week, I was having a hard time analyzing this game. I, I really try to be as objective as I can, recognizing in my biases and be self-aware, but I've just had my heart broken so many times by the current era of Michigan football that as a fan, I've now convinced that we're just doomed to be in the friend zone and be 9-3 and three Earl Bruce forever and never get out of it no matter what we do. This game, if it did nothing else... Not saying we will ever get out of that friend zone, but for the first time in quite a while, probably since the beginning of last year when Josh Gaddis was brought in, and then you saw how long it took that offense to establish itself, and you're like, oy vey, here we go again. But it, it's for the first time since we the announcement of the hiring of Josh Gaddis that I, I thought maybe we haven't plateaued as a program. Maybe the window on the Harbaugh era hasn't completely closed. Maybe we're not doomed to go 9-3 and three every year. Maybe we can reinvent ourselves to make another run uh, at this thing while he's still the head coach. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you take away the scores, forget 52-17 in Columbus and 49-24, and even if the gap between Minnesota and Nebraska has closed a bit and Minnesota is not substantially better than the Huskers, the Michigan win on Saturday night was more impressive than the Ohio State win. Ohio State showed some real concerns. Now, should Buckeye fans be uh, insanely concerned about uh, the status of the team? No, it's one of the three most talented rosters in college football. But potentially here, let's see, in uh, mid-December, we're going to have a matchup of the two teams, and we're going to have an elite, near-elite Michigan uh, defensive front against an Ohio State offensive line that's supposed to be that good. But they had issues in the run game, and there's no J.K. Dobbins on this roster. The running back stable for Ohio State is deep, uh, but it's deep with serviceable, really good college football players like Trey Sermon and Master T. But no J.K. Dobbins on that roster that I can see, and I've seen these guys play enough football at this point. Yes, they come in waves at wide receiver. Elite talent Garrett Wilson is the next uh, superstar there at wide receiver to join uh, Chris Olave and company. And, of course, Justin Fields was near perfect. I don't know that I've seen a quarterback throw 21 passes that were all on the money. Uh, but they still had issues, and now this is something that Michigan can take advantage of fully. Still showed issues with all their talent and speed on defense of Covering up that quarterback run, Adrian Martinez had 85 yards, and that included sacks. He was well over 100, uh, breaking contain and beating the defense uh, downfield. So Ohio State has some chinks in the armor that Michigan might have the answers to. Let's move on to the rest of the Big Ten. And I, I really think... And I was, you know, one of our former uh, players at Michigan did a radio show in Ann Arbor this week, Andy Minnery, who's from Ohio. And he made the point that in the COVID era, there shouldn't be any look-ahead games. Every team should recognize that when, it, when the ball kicks off for its game on Saturday, whew, we made it. We can play. 
that with the way the, the Big Ten's stringent, stingier than any other conference's protocols, every game's like a bowl game. It's a one-game season every single week. And I thought that was a very interesting take and, and a good analysis. And I heard that on Monday morning. And then Monday night, we heard the news that Graham Mertz had tested positive for an antigen test. That's the daily testing that's going on in the Big Ten. Now, for people that don't know the difference, let me just quickly educate you here. An antigen test is a rapid test that is done, in this case for coronavirus, to detect whether you have an infectious level of the virus or not. If you test positive for the antigen test, it's uh, it's less reliable than a PCR test, but it's quicker. it's got a quicker turnaround. If you test positive for the antigen test, they will then bring the PCR test in, the molecular test, and then they will do they will see if that confirms because it's more sensitive as well. And if the PCR test confirms what the antigen test found, then you have a confirmed positive and you're out for a minimum of 21 days. What does that mean? It means you're like in a hotel room, like off campus. Like not working out with the team, you're working out with your, you know, uh, S&C coach virtually, probably doing body weight stuff because you're in a quarantine. It's not, you're not going, you're walking around the hotel and heading to the gym in the basement. All right. You're quarantined. They're bringing you your food, everything. So that means you're not getting reps. That means you're not working on timing off to the side. You're not, it's, it's like you have to reboot your season. And um, if you get, if the PCR test comes back negative, then you have what's called a false positive when we've seen plenty of these in the NFL so far this season. Okay. So he is confirmed. Now they're saying that was a big blow anyway, because the original starting quarterback, Jack Cohn, broken foot out indefinitely, which means who knows if he's even going to play this year. Uh, Graham Mertz was the number two rated uh, pro style quarterback in the country by ESPN a couple of years ago. Looked sensational in his debut. Three weeks, that's you know, that's the next three games, Nebraska, Purdue, and at Michigan, not playing in those games. Now they're saying the backup quarterback, Chase Wolf, has a positive antigen test as well. He's awaiting at the time you and I are recording this, he's awaiting his PCR confirmation. If if it's confirmed, they're looking at playing for the next three weeks now, minimum, with the fourth string quarterback. Remember, this is what happened in Northwestern last year when they went from winning the West Division with an eight and one record to finishing in last place because they played the quarterback roulette as well. So you and I have already talked about the testing mechanism and everything else. Nothing we can do about it. That was the compromise that was made to get the season going. And frankly, I think I'd re- as much as I don't like the, the layoff, I, I think I'd rather have this than the waves of players suspended for contact tracing if, if as the lesser of two evils, if you will. So let's just look at it from a football perspective. What does this do for Wisconsin? What does this do for the West? Because keep this one last thing in mind too, Mark. Let's say he comes right back. He never has any symptoms. He comes right back three games later. He didn't practice. He didn't work on any timing uh, with his receivers. He's only started one game. So it's not like there's like a long litany of, you know, Graham uh, Mertz muscle memory here with the Wisconsin football program where you just plug and play him in. I got to think it's going to take a week or two to get back to where he was at the start of the year. But what are your thoughts on this merely from a football perspective? What's it do for Wisconsin and the Big Ten West? Well, get uh, familiar with, uh, I'm going to make sure I get this name right, Danny Vandenboom. Doesn't that just sound like a Wisconsin quarterback's name, though? Oh, it absolutely (laughs) does. Yes, it does. He's got a three-yard touchdown pass to his name. He's a redshirt junior. But, uh, yeah, Chase Wolf. if the second test comes back positive, then he's sitting for 21 days as well. 
I believe we're at 10 days in the NFL. Uh, Yeah, that's the CDC guideline is 10 days. Correct. Yeah. So Danny Vandenboom, uh, the the issue that I see is, okay, Wisconsin football, let's throw it 18 times. Let's give it to a great running back like a Jonathan Taylor and on down the list of Monte Ball and others, James White. They don't have that. They've got a running back by committee. They didn't run it that well against Illinois, uh, who was starting four new defensive linemen. Garrett Grosh is like a very serviceable guy. Mm -hmm. Nikita Watson. They averaged, uh, by the way, Wisconsin averaged less than four yards a carry sack adjusted against Illinois last Friday, FYI. Exactly. They they don't have that staple of great running backs or that one main guy that you give it to 25 times. Uh, again, Nakia Watson has the highest ceiling, but he's very inexperienced, carried four or five times against Illinois. So they, I don't know where they're going in regards to their offensive game plan and who's going to uh, Quintez Sivas, their best wide receiver's gone. They do have capable wide receivers, but that's the most dependent position on the field. Uh, to the quarterback in the offensive line is the wide receiver. So they could be really hurting. Uh, and then who's the backup to the backup to the backup to the backup? Who is that guy? The punter, probably. So what's this do to the Big Ten West? We saw somehow Iowa lost to Purdue. I, watching that game, I, I still don't know how that occurred. Um, and, uh, you know, I know people don't want to hear this, but uh, it seemed like Iowa missed their strength and conditioning coach, man. Purdue got stronger as that game went on. So Iowa's already got an L. Um, Northwestern looked great in the first game with Peyton Ramsey, but that's against Maryland that my power rating said was the worst team in our entire conference. You mentioned, uh, you know, how impressive Wisconsin looked against Illinois, which brought a lot of guys back on offense, including their quarterback from a bowl team last year and couldn't get anything going on that side of the ball at all. Is it possible that they could lose all three of these games? And, hey, if they you know beat Minnesota at the end of the year, five and three, Wisconsin could still represent the West in Indianapolis. Is, is there that much, I guess we'll call it parity in that division right now? Yeah, maybe we've got an ACC coastal situation where everybody finishes four and four, and uh, then we've got that championship weekend, and we have to go through some kind of crazy tiebreaker to figure out who's going to play whom. But uh, Illinois uh, aside, everybody, yeah, the the upper crust seems to be trending down, and the 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 bottom feeders, other than Illinois, seem to be trending up. Look at what Northwestern did. Uh, of course, Maryland's a mess, but forty three to three. I had to go back to nineteen seventy to find a Northwestern win in the Big Ten by more than 40 points when they beat Illinois in 1970. Wow. Uh, Peyton Ramsey, a quarterback. Uh, Northwestern, of course, Pat Fitzgerald's been there, done that. He knows how to prepare a team uh, to win ugly and make it through uh, a Big Ten season, um, as they did two years ago. And they rushed for 325 yards in that game to uh, using um, um, a bevy of running backs. Uh, Nebraska, despite the score, played much better than that. Uh, they've got to get Adrian Martinez uh, to protect the football. That would be I mean, key. If I was so a Nebraska be- fan, given our proud tradition, I agree with you because you look at the analytics, the yards per play there is not a 52-17 to 17 score when you look at the yards per play for Nebraska and Ohio State. But if I'm a Nebraska fan, I'm grinding my teeth hearing a Michigan and Ohio State fan say, hey, you know, you guys lost by 35, but it was a lot closer. Than-. You know what I'm saying? I'm losing my feces here in that kind of moral victory talk, but that's kind of where they're at as a program right now, right? 
They're, they're missing their two best defensive backs uh, in the first half of this Wisconsin game, uh, Cam Taylor-Britt and uh, yeah, Deontay. Yeah, because of the target. Good news is they're not going to face much of a Wisconsin passing game, so I don't know they got to worry about that, right? There you go. No, it, yeah. it, it, it reminds me of a uh, uh, an Ohio State game with Kent Graham. I was trying to come up with a quarterback uh, back in 1991 against uh, Illinois when uh, John Cooper refused to throw the ball. There were no weather conditions, just refused to throw the ball with Joey Galloway and Brian Stapline and a host of Jeff Graham NFL wide receivers. Didn't throw the ball once in the first half. Uh, so maybe uh, Wisconsin goes back to true Wisconsin football. They really pound that fullback because they don't, again, have an elite runner uh, in that game. Obviously, in our division, the game that has the most implications is what Indiana did against Penn State. I, I, I've, I've watched a lot of college football over my days, and until I'm called home, I plan on watching as much as I can until the end. I don't know that I'll ever see another game in our league where a team outrushes their opponent by over 200 yards, had only given up 130 yards of offense going into the final drive of the game, and won the turnover battle and lost. That, brother, is hard to do, okay? And yet, Penn State managed to pull that off on Saturday against Indiana. And now, you know, there was all this talk heading into the offseason, how deep their running back room was. Former five-star Ricky Slade's transferred out. Journey Brown, who's their best offensive player, has uh, an illness, probably not going to play this season. And now another highly ranked recruit, Noah Kane, it was announced today. He's out for the year. And, and they're up against the wall. They lose this week. They're 0-2, man. They're probably out of this thing right away and it just so happens their opponent week two is the Buckeyes for a whiteout which won't actually have any fans so their proverbial back is against the wall and they already had uh, players flirting with COVID opt-outs like if I'm Pat Fryermuth, if we go 0-2 am I am I risking an injury against Purdue or somebody in late November I don't know right I think you got to start thinking about that. You're seeing opt-outs for teams like Duke and Florida State and other teams that are... Paler just had a couple of opt-outs. Have got, now that you're kind of out of it, guys are like, I don't know if I want to do the, the testing anymore. Kylan Hill just opted out for Mississippi State. So I think this is... Penn State's entire season is on the line this week against the Buckeyes. What are your thoughts? Steve, you stole all my stats that I had to underline why that uh, Indiana win was so crazy, but I'll throw one more out there. Uh more than two to one in time of possession for Penn State. Oh, wow. in that one. And, and again, if you do look at the, um, the the total yardage, it's crazy to consider that Penn State was at 130 yards in, in total defense given up uh, leading into that last drive. And then you add up the 25 yards that Indiana posted, obviously, in the overtime period to score the touchdown. And then they went 75 yards and didn't face for as, Penn, as well as Penn State played on defense for the entirety of that game. Indiana didn't have to face a third or fourth down conversion on that drive. They just went bam, bam, bam down the field. Uh, certainly not a good look for Penn State, who loses their leader on defense at linebacker um, uh, due to a targeting penalty for the first half against Ohio State as well. Uh, You've mentioned that stable of Penn State running backs. Uh, this is This has to be, other than the possible COVID situation that's going to affect and will, to a certain extent, the Wisconsin quarterback situation, has to be the most different a team looks in week two versus what we expected them to be in the preseason. Mm -hmm. Penn State, as you mentioned, they lose a great running back in Journey Brown, an emerging star, 200-plus yards in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, Noah Kane, top five running back in high school. Bam, three carries and gone. And now they're 
they're down to three and four, Devin Ford, as you mentioned, and uh, Keevan Lee. Uh, Sean Clifford's a bit of a mystery. Uh, I don't know what this is saying about the Indiana defense. I'm watching that game, and he ran for 119 yards, and there are safeties and linebackers missing him, whiffing on him in the secondary. So I don't know that in Indiana is quite as good as, as they looked, uh, at least in terms of a final score, and Michael Penix seems to be, and rightfully so. He's excited about the win. I've, I've heard some... Um, not firsthand, but comments that he's really calling out uh, the leaders of the Big Ten East to say, we're coming for you. But, uh, you know, he may. He's going to have to play a lot better than that if he's coming for yes. us, brother. Because that, yes. listen, that, that, that's the, that might be the greatest two point conversion run in Hoosier football history, but he did not have a good game. I mean, he, oh, he was inaccurate, overthrew several receivers. He did, he did not have a good game. But you know what? It's their first win over a top 10 team since Dave Schnell. Van Waiter and Anthony Thompson in 1987 against your Buckeyes. That's the last time they beat a top 10 team. So Indiana, in a way, I think the universe righted itself. They had no business winning this game. But how many times, a couple of years ago when they played you guys with Ezekiel Elliott, they should have beaten you in that game? Dude, there's like seven times they should have beaten us, I can think of, in the last 15 years. And they didn't win any of them, okay? So they they prob- this was the universe finally stepped in and said, you know what, man, we got to do you all a solid. So we're going to give you, there's been plenty of times you've lost to these teams where the box score said you should have won. We're going to give you one of these when the box score says you should have lost this game seven times. And that's, I think, what happened. That was nature healing itself on Saturday. But what it does for Penn State, I think it puts their entire season on the brink already in week two, don't you think, Mark? Steve, you're taking me back to uh, what Earl Bruce termed as the darkest day in Ohio State football history when they lost to Indiana 31-10 in 87. But uh, in regards to Penn State, you said it a couple weeks ago, you don't build a passing game uh, based on getting the ball to the tight end. It's great to have a tremendous tight end like they have Mike Kosicki and now Pat Fryermuth, seven catches uh, against Indiana. But Jahan Dotson made that one play where there was a blown coverage in what should have been the game-winning touchdown for 60 yards. But other than that, he was shut down three receptions, 34 yards, and they have unproven playmakers at wide receiver. Um, Sean Clifford made the two awful mistakes as he typically does against good defenses. His, his track record, his game log per game against good defenses is not impressive. Uh, they're really hamstrung uh, instantly on offense in regards to where do they go for, for their offense. And Sean Clifford's not that guy to create it himself so yeah penn state's in a dire dire situation good stuff mark it's good to have it back it's good to be breaking down games and talking ball my friend good to have you with us here check out his youtube channel he is the voice of college football mark rogers tv there on youtube a lot of great stuff not just for ohio state fans but he covers the entire landscape of college football good to see you brother take care appreciate it steve A great way to stay up to date with our latest thoughts and coverage of the Michigan Wolverines is to check out our website, Wolverine Digest, part of the SI Network. That's myself, Michael Spath, Brandon Brown, Eric Rutter, and the whole team at Wolverine Digest covering everything, maize and blue, whether it's the latest football news, recruiting, college basketball on the horizon as well. And analysis is our thing. That's our jam. And because we are not beholden to anybody at the school to get access for breaking information, we got a little bit more freedom than maybe some others do to see things more from you 
and we, the fans' perspective. So check us out each day online at wolverinedigest.com. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, hey, last year Michigan State beat Sparty by 34 points. Will the Wolverines win by less or more points when they host Michigan State on Saturday? 66% of you said more. I, I would be surprised if it's by more than 34 points, but hey, I was surprised when we beat them by 34 points last year. 33.8% of you say less. Although, I kind of think with Mel Tucker busting out the contrived rivalry, um, uh, social awkward, um, cringe-inducing that team down the road and not addressing Michigan this week, that I, whatever the odds were that if Harbaugh had a chance to tack one or two on late, he was going to, after what Mel Tucker's trying, they went up. That's for sure. All right, let's get to this week's question of the week. And it's it's this diagram from at Dexon Gaming on Twitter. And I love this, okay? <laughs> this is the flow chart for how do you know if Michigan did Michigan play in a big game? All right. So what a lot of you don't know is outside of playing top 10 teams, Jim Harbaugh is now nine and two against teams ranked outside of the top 10, but in the top 25. All right. So was the team ranked? If the answer is yes, then we go to did Michigan win? If Michigan won, then it's no longer a big game. If Michigan lost, then it was the biggest game of their lives. And if the team was ranked, uh, or if the team was not ranked, then it's never a big game. I absolutely love this because it so matches the narrative that we are force-fed as Michigan fans all the time. I mean, hey, I, I'm I I my spirit in terms of being a championship program was pretty broken until Saturday night. I've been open and honest about that here on this show. But if you listen to a lot of these national pundits across the country, it's like we're a four and eight team. I mean, we're like in the top 10 for Power 5 wins the last five years. This, is, this isn't this is a bad team by any stretch. You just can't beat Ohio State. And so for that reason, hey, you might as well be the Francis Pay Northwestern Wildcats. I mean, the narrative's been nuts. Insane. And Dexon Gaming, you captured it perfectly there in your graphics. So very, very well played. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. Hopefully next week we're talking about another beatdown of Sparty. Because this, let's face it, they have it coming. All right, because it's never over. As douche, I'm sorry. As uh, D'Antonio once infamously said, "Hey, you can follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at Wolverine Digest. Those are two places where you can stay up to date on our takes on everything Michigan every single day. Whether it's YouTube, you can share and like this video, uh, if and subscribe to our channel. If it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, you can like the or, or I'm sorry, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five star review. Keep doing those things because it helps us to spread the word to other Michigan fans just like you about what we're doing here each and every week on Michigan Podcast. Until next week, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.